Oh, good morning, church. Sounds like everybody's awake on a nice crisp morning. It's always good for Karen and I to be here at Sycamore. We've been here enough times now that it's starting to feel like uh, we know a lot of, of friends and have friends, and we remember some names. And um, yeah, I see some new faces, and that's great too. Nice, fine young group of young men here sitting up front, which is great. It's Hendrick, right? Okay. So anyway, it's great to be here. And uh, as John mentioned, we've been we left home on January the fifth. We thought it would be a great time of the year to go to the southwest and uh, visit CMC churches in the southwest. So we've been through like. Indiana, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, New Mexico, Phoenix, and now we're heading back east, which feels really good. Unfortunately, in Phoenix, I think there was at least three mornings that we had frost on our windshield, so we didn't get the little winter reprieve that we thought we would, but the sun was shining, and that's always a good thing. So, it's great to be here. I do want to put a little plug in. Uh, along with Heidi for the Valentine's Banquet last year. Karen and I got to be here for that. And uh, if you've never participated, uh, the kids do a great job of decorating and serving you a great meal. So I'll put a little bit of free advertisement in there for the youth for the Valentine's Banquet. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, that God has really put a good message on my heart for y'all this morning, but i got to talk about a couple other things first. Um, yesterday afternoon, we got to, to visit with uh, your search committee, and last evening we had dinner with, with your elders. And I just want to affirm their work and their efforts and the way that they, they take their role seriously. Uh, they care about you as a church, um, they realize the importance of the the kinds of decisions that they're making, and and so I affirm your patience and letting God lead in all of this. Uh, one of the things that we talked about at great length, and you're realizing, is that um, times are different than they were 20 years ago, and so when it comes to like. My, my predecessor at CMC 20 years ago would have had a, had a list of people that maybe were looking to pastor a church somewhere. And regardless of denomination or, or affiliations anymore, that's just not the case. There's all kinds of reasons for that. But I say all that to say I appreciate both your search committee and your elders and you as a congregation, your patience in allowing the Lord to to kind of lead how he wants to lead. And um, and then I also affirm you in the many different voices that from from within this church and from other places that that uh, have been sharing your testimonies and your stories and your sermons. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll jump on and listen to, to, to some of those. And it's been a joy to... I, I really enjoyed Kyle's last two sermons on Cain. I told him, I said, maybe I ought to just come today and you preach another one on Cain and I'll just sit here. That didn't work. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I just affirm you and all that. And I was struck by 
by John's, the first verse that John wrote in Psalm 20, read in Psalm 24 this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I think that includes all of us, right? We are the Lord's. He knows what we need. He's going to take care of us. We can trust Him. He's proven Himself faithful. He never goes back on His promises. And so it just, as you were reading that, John, it's like, ah, that's all of us. We live in the world, and the earth is the Lord's. And He's going to meet our needs. He's going to take care of us. He loves us. And so I trust this morning that that each of us are grateful and we're thankful. We're thankful that Jesus paid the price on the cross, shed His blood, paid the price for sin so that we could be His. I, I hope that we're thankful and grateful for that this morning. And I hope that we remember that He is always going to provide for His church. I feel like maybe I say that every time I come here. But I need reminder of that. Maybe you do too, and so maybe that's why I say it. But, but just remember that Jesus has paid the price. He's going to provide for His church. And I trust that you're thankful that Jesus continues to, to pour out gifts on the church. We were talking about that in our, in our Sunday school class this morning downstairs. How the, how the Spirit of Jesus gives us gifts. And they're all important and active in the church. So I, I trust we're thankful that Jesus has poured out gifts on His church. Well, for the next several minutes, I'd like to share a few thoughts on the purpose of the church and how we as, as Jesus followers have an opportunity to participate in... Uh, being, being God's people and bringing about the kingdom of Jesus here on the earth. And, um, and how all the different gifts that Jesus has given each person fits into the purpose of the church. I had no idea. I don't know if you all study the same Sunday school lesson. I had no idea that we were going to be studying that this morning. But um, that was a great kickoff, at least for our class. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. I just want to do a kind of a quick walk through this morning, a short kind of exploration of a very familiar story that Jesus told, and uh, see what we can learn from this little story about the purpose of the church. And I, I would say that, that this is not meant to be a, a comprehensive look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. In this first section of, of verses in Luke 10... Uh, verses 25 to 29. I need some help. I'm going to ask you all to help me out here a little bit. I'm going to narrate and would like if you would kind of play the part of the, the expert of the, in the law in this story. He's a, he's a really smart guy, it seems. And I'm pretty sure that everyone here at Sycamore is pretty smart. So I think you guys can play. <laughs> Somebody's shaking their head. I'm like, come on. I'm <laughs> But um, 
But I'd, I'd like all of you to, to play the part of the smart guy, the expert in the law, because I think you can. I believe in you all. And, uh, and I'll kind of narrate the story. So if we can have that first slide there, Brandon. We're going to start in verse 25. And uh, if you can read off the screen, that way we're all reading from the same version. Because uh, you're all one person. You're, you're, the, you're the smart guy. You're the expert in the law. You're the, you're the church at Sycamore. So go ahead and claim it. Oh, hold on, I got to narrate first. Just, just. Oh boy, you guys are raring to go. <laughs> uh, so it's, it starts in verse 25 on one occasion, and so this is just a an average day in the life of Jesus. He's he's out among the people, and it's just kind of on this one occasion, an expert in the law, this smart guy, stood up to test Jesus. And this is what he asked. Wow, you guys said that like you were talking to Jesus. Like you said it with passion and and energy and like you really want to know, right? Like we all want to know how we inherit eternal life. And who better to ask than Jesus? Do do that one more time. Just You're going too fast, Brandon. We've got to slow down here. Let's do that one more time. Yeah, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the smart guy answered, I didn't hear, like, pride in your voices, but I can almost imagine some pride in the voice of the smart guy as he answered Jesus, because he knew the answer, didn't he? And uh, he, he wanted to let Jesus, I got this. I, I know what it takes to inherit eternal life. And so, just like you, he boldly told Jesus what it takes. And Jesus, in verse 28, answered him, replied to him. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. But in verse 29, the smart guy wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus. And I I think he probably said it a little defensively, like he's trying to justify himself. So let's let's do it one more time, a little bit defensively. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the smart guy, he knew the scriptures and he knew the law and, and it appears that he lived by it. I mean, that that seems like a pretty good way to live, right? Yet his his knowledge of the law and the need to love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as himself brings out in this this thing in him this brings out this thing in us this need to justify it's what the scripture says he wanted to justify himself well living by the law carries with it a, a fear of living not well enough it creates a, an uneasiness which, which causes this need in us to, 
to justify our life and our living. And we often actually do that by comparing it with who? With other people. We certainly don't do it by comparing ourselves to Jesus or to God. We do it by comparing ourselves to other people. Kind of the the reverse of that that uneasiness is trusting in the in the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection and the the perfect love of Jesus in the cross of Jesus and that perfect love cast out what yeah cast out fear cast out fear of not being good enough because we're trusting we're depending on the shed blood of Jesus his sacrifice So I imagine that when Jesus agreed with the smart guy's assessment of the law, that he should just do it and live, in other words, just love God and love your neighbor and live, the expert in the law kind of immediately thought of someone that he could have done more for. Or he knew of someone in the crowd, maybe someone in the body that kind of experienced anything but love from him. And he knew that his motives for doing good weren't always what they should be. So he had to justify himself. Any of you ever had to justify yourself? I sure do. I try. I can't, but I try. So he had to justify himself. He had to to be righteous himself. He had to be innocent himself. And brothers and sisters, that's a really heavy burden to carry. It's actually an impossible burden to carry. And, and so he tries to, to find some wriggle, wiggle room by, by asking, what did he ask? Yeah, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know, I'm remembering something about up here. There's one spot here that always squeaks. <laughs> I remember that from the last time. Anyway, sorry, that was a little aside there. So... Um, have you, have you ever stopped to listen to your own conversations? I would, I would challenge us to, to pay attention to the words we say and, and listen to all the ways that we try and justify something we do or we don't do. And our, our justifying actually reveals where we lack in some area of life and often reveals our self-protecting motives. So that's kind of a, a little background to, to the story that then Jesus tells to kind of explain what he's talking to. But before we get to this really familiar story, I'm going to take us to the end of the story. I'm guessing there's some of you are like that, right? You like to, you go and if you're going to read a book, you read the last chapter because you want to know what happens. And then you go back and read the book. Is there anybody like that? You know there's always one in every crowd. Thanks for being honest, Darla. But, yeah, there's some of us, we've got to know how it finishes before we can even enjoy the story. So let's go to, to Luke 36, to the end of the story. Jesus kind of wraps it all up, the story, by saying, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of the three people in the story we're going to look at do you think was a neighbor? 
go to the next slide there. Did you notice how Jesus flipped the question? The smart guy trying to justify himself asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus flips the question, and now the question is not, who is my neighbor? It's actually, am I a neighbor? See, if the question is, who is my neighbor, I can always find some reason to figure out why somebody should or shouldn't be my neighbor. But Jesus says, no, that's the wrong question. He says, am I a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? That's the question, not who is my neighbor. So, let's look at the story. And uh, I think I'll just read it right off the, the overhead. This is what Jesus had to say to the smart guy. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And these robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a a Levite, whom, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So let's kind of go back and just look at a few things in the story. And again, as I, as I warned you, this is not meant to be a comprehensive look at, at this passage, but... Here we have a a man, a person, a human being, and he's heading down the road. It's Again, it's just a day in his life. And uh, he fell into the hands of robbers. Now, what do robbers do? Well, what do they do? I'm sorry. They rob him, yeah. They were were mean to him. They, They beat him up. They stripped him of everything, including his clothes, so he's lying there naked. Uh, They stole everything and left him there for dead. So, I'd I'd like us to think this morning about who might the robber represent? Who, Who do we know from Scripture that his sole purpose is to kill and steal and destroy? Satan. I think Jesus might just be talking about Satan here. Somebody, a person, has been beaten, has been left for dead, and left shamelessly exposed by Satan. That could be a possible interpretation, which I'm going to suggest this morning. So a priest and a Levite come by. It says they saw him laying there, shamefully exposed and and half dead, everything taken away. The priest and the Levite, for the most part, represent the law. And often, we tend to be a little hard on these guys for for passing by and letting the guy there. 
But I'd like to suggest to you this morning that if indeed they represent the law, then there's actually a limited amount of what they can do to help this guy. I mean, the law says that that someone has been treated badly, someone has robbed, someone has tried to kill, someone has, like, bad things have happened. That's what the law points out to us, right? Bad things have happened. And I'd actually kind of... I'm kind of feeling like these two guys, they were limited on what they could do. I mean, they saw it, but they passed by. The law can't provide the mercy needed to bring hope and life in a situation. The the law that Jesus talked about, and our smart guy that loving your neighbor and loving God can can begin to to bring about that's the fulfillment of the law but the original law that points out what sin is is limited in what can do it just says something bad has happened to someone so <clears throat> love and action was the only solution to the beaten man who was going to die the samaritan a person despised by the jews It says he went to, he saw him and he went to him. He came to where the man was and took care of him. Can can you think of another person who was despised that, that came to the hurting and the broken? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Could it be that Jesus was possibly talking about himself? The Samaritans were despised. In fact, in Isaiah 53, it says that the, the prophet Isaiah says this about the suffering servant, that he was despised and he was rejected, yet he took up our infirmities and our sorrows. I'd like to suggest to us this morning that maybe just maybe Jesus was talking about himself being the good Samaritan. The evil one, Satan, the devil, has done the killing and the robbing and the stealing and the destroying. And now Jesus, the despised one, sees, comes to, and begins to take action, begins to bring restoration. And that brings us to verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. As I said earlier, I'm not even beginning to try and cover everything in this story Jesus told, but allow me to to point out a couple things that have caught my attention. The good news is that simply is that Jesus came to us in love. Jesus came to us in love when we were helpless, when we were vulnerable, when we were stripped bare, when we were exposed and beaten and broken, when we couldn't walk, when we were left for dead in our sin. Jesus came to us. I have a feeling you guys do Christmas celebrations out here in Missouri, right? We do back in Pennsylvania. And that's what it's all about, right? 
Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to us. That was good news. The angels announced it. Jesus came to us and he picked us up and he carried us and he paid the price for our healing. What the law was helpless to do, in other words, passed us by, Jesus did for us by coming to us, identifying with us and paying our debt on the cross. It was love and action. It was God coming to us in the darkness and the brokenness. Many of us have experienced that, right? We've experienced being in the darkness and being broken. And Jesus came to us and rescued us. Does that sound plausible that that could be a possible interpretation of that story? Let's keep going a little bit. There's another part of this story that we haven't talked about yet. Another person who was a big part of the story. Who might that be? Uh, we, we talked about the guy that was left for dead. That's a good try. The innkeeper. Let's talk about the innkeeper for a minute. The good Samaritan brought the dying man to the innkeeper. The Samaritan paid the price for the man's healing. He asked the innkeeper to do what? Take care of him. The two silver coins that were paid were enough for months of care, it says. This was not going to be a quick fix. The Good Samaritan indicated that, that he knew it was going to be a process by promising that he would come back at some point to take care of any other uncovered expenses. Like he just didn't see the guy and pay the price and leave and not take care of him anymore or not have any concern. He says, I'm actually going to come back again. And if there's anything else that needs covered, I'm going to take care of that. The innkeeper was not a doctor, but he was a provider of hospitality. And the Greek word for hospitality is phlenoxenia. It means a love of strangers. Think, think about what, would have, what the innkeeper would have experienced in caring for this man who was completely and shamefully exposed and could not walk. He was beaten down. He was bruised and bloody. He probably couldn't even feed himself. Possibly didn't even know who he was. Didn't know his name. Didn't know his identity. And he was a stranger to the innkeeper. I imagine the, the innkeeper trying to, beginning to, to feed this man, uh, soup, right? That's what you feed somebody that's kind of probably chicken soup. Right? Trying, trying to get some nourishment into him. I see the, the innkeeper changing bloody bandages and washing soiled sheets. This was before the age of catheters and latex gloves and all those kinds of things. It was intimate. It was vulnerable. It was messy. And he didn't even know the man's name. He was a stranger. Yet the price had already been paid for the man's healing. The beautiful truth, the joy about keeping in is that it is the innkeeper who, who saw the broken man sit up for the first time in bed. It was the innkeeper who got to hear him find his voice again. 
It was the innkeeper who, who saw him begin to remember his identity and saw him take his first steps and regain strength and dignity. And then it was the innkeeper who saw this man eventually walk out the door and down the road again and beginning to watch for other people who had been just like him. I like to think that that just maybe the innkeeper, the keeper of the inn, is representative of the church. Jesus paid the price for the healing. Jesus paid the price for new life. And then the love of Christ and those who have already been rescued and brought back to life, the church begins to get intimate and vulnerable and messy and caring and loving and having mercy and being a neighbor. Sometimes it's a stranger. Sometimes it's someone in our own family who the thief, the robber, has stolen from and tried to kill and destroy. But as we see in this story, who it is that needs the care is not that, that's not what's important. Because Jesus flipped the question, it's not who, it's am I a neighbor? Am I a neighbor? One of my observations over the years has been that that many of us like when somebody comes up here or stands down here or over over dinner tells us this great testimony of how God has saved them and redeemed them and their life is now restored. But my observation is far fewer of us are willing to be the ones who serve as the innkeeper. Like that process time when it's intimate and it's messy and it's vulnerable and it's dirty. We don't like that part so much. Some of us have walked that, right? We, we've got this great testimony, but there's probably only one or two people who are willing to walk with us. But everybody loves the end story, right? We talked about that. We like the end of the story. In this little story that Jesus told, we see a model for the church. Jesus took notice of the need. He came. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He cared. He paid the price. And He invited others, the innkeeper, to join Him in the restoring process. I'm guessing in a group this size, that some of us are right in the middle of keeping in with someone. You know, the pay, the, you know that the price has been paid by Jesus for the healing and new life, yet Jesus has placed someone in your life to love, to do life with, to neighbor, and it's hard, and it's messy, and it's tiring, maybe even painful. Some days you see progress and some days you don't. But as we, as we keep in, as we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves and we begin living the kingdom of God, we actually begin to enter into living eternal life right now. Church, as we continue to 
build a relational community through connecting and becoming intimate and vulnerable and involved with each other and our neighbors. Let's remember that Jesus is the one who paid the price and we are simply to be neighbors, to faithfully, lovingly live life alongside each other together. Kind of takes me back to the Sunday school lesson again, doesn't it, Marvin? It takes many different people with a variety of gifts to keep a to keep an inn, to keep a church functioning in a healthy manner. It takes people to teach. What do, what does it mean to be the inn? It takes people to provide leadership and administration. It takes people to cook and clean, in other words, serving. Takes people who have a who have a gift to sit and listen and empathize with each other. It takes people to dream, to vision how the inn could be better and better serve the community. And as all these gifts function together, knowing that the healing price for the injured and the left for dead has already been paid, and that the one who has paid the price is coming back again to check in. Like, that just inspires me for the church to be that in. That is a safe place for people to find healing and hope because the price has already been paid. I know that, that you've been in this, wow, it's probably been a year and a half process of searching for another pastoral leader. That's important. We need a good teacher. But that's only one part of the end. It takes all of us using the gifts that God has given us through His Spirit to make the end function well. Don't put your hope in one person. That one person has already paid the price. But faithfully be a neighbor using the gift that God has given you and the inn will become a beautiful place for all kinds of people to grow and find their identity again and remember their name and learn to walk again. And then go out and begin to serve other people just as they've been served. Jesus is coming back. Will he find us being a neighbor? Let's pray. Lord, for those of us in this, this place today who have experienced Your healing and or were somewhere in that process, Lord, we are so thankful that You saw us and You came to us and You paid the price for our sin. We are grateful this morning, Lord. Lord, if, there, if there's those in, in this place today who have not, have not understood that or realized that, that, that you have already paid the price for their brokenness, for their shamefulness, and for their, for their being left for dead, Lord, I pray that, that 
your spirit in them would begin to draw and they could trust you. Trust you enough that, that they would allow you to, to pick them up and, and carry them and, and entrust them to a group of people who will love and care for them. Lord, as your body, as your church, as people who know your word, we know you're coming back. That's what you said, and you keep your promises. So, Lord, I pray that that when you come back, you would find us being a good neighbor. Just simply out of who you are in us and your love in us. Not out of some kind of self-justification process where we try and figure out who to serve, but just simply... Be your representatives here on the earth. Be your people. Knowing that the world is yours and we are in the world, we are a part of those who live in the world, so we are yours. Lord, I pray blessing over this congregation, these people that you love. Lord, as as we've already talked about, we know you'll provide for them. You are providing for them. You have been providing for them. So, Lord, I pray you give them courage, give them soft hearts, give them peace and rest as they neighbor each other and whoever they come in contact with. And we'll give you the praise as you build your kingdom and bring glory to yourself for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.